0: We're going to hear from God's word. Maureen Adams is going to come to and read to us uh, these words. that we're, we're journeying through Matthew's gospel, and we have come to Matthew chapter 4, beginning to read at verse 12. Page 968 of our church Bibles. Let us hear God's word. Thank you, Maureen.
1: Jesus begins to preach. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he returned to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zababulum and Naphtaliah, to fulfill which was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way to the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light, and those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The call of the first disciples. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net in the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat, their uh, their father and followed him. Jesus heals the sick. Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, Preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases. Those suffering severe pain. The demon demon possessed those having seizures and the paralyzed and healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Capulis, Jerusalem, Judea, And the region across Jordan followed him. Amen.
0: Please keep your Bibles open if you have to follow these thoughts this morning as we have read God's Word from Matthew chapter 4, page 968, where Jesus begins his ministry as King of God's kingdom. So we have been journeying since just before Christmas with Matthew's gospel and we allowed Matthew's story to begin with Jesus coming into our world and the the wise men, the magi coming and then we've kept going. And we had his baptism last week in the desert and his victory over Satan and as we discover later in a parable, Jesus Has bound the strong man of the world so he can now plunder his possessions. That he's come for your heart and my heart and our lives, and he's come to bring us hope, and he's bound the one that holds us. And so he begins his ministry now of plundering the world back to God, of, of claiming it for himself. There's two really important phrases. That you read here, when Jesus begins his ministry, Matthew summarizes it in these words Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. That everything that Jesus is doing and saying is about the kingdom of heaven. And then, as he walks along the shores of Lake Galilee, an ordinary day, he meets these two sets of fishermen, four people, and he says to them, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. What I hope that I we understand this morning is the connection between these two phrases. That everything that Jesus is about is about the kingdom of heaven. So when he says to these fishermen, as he says to us in our lives, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men, it is about us in the kingdom. It is about us, us repenting and turning to the kingdom. Remember I said that repentance is not so much feeling sorry uh, for your sin, Oh, I'm such a terrible person. I, I've messed up my life. Lord, forgive me. It's much more than that. It's turning away from yourself and turning to face God and his ways. And so it's a turning away from the kingdom of this world and our own kingdoms to face and to embrace and to, to follow God's kingdom and all that it represents. So repentance is much a turning around and turning to face the kingdom of heaven. And everything that Jesus is teaching and and telling us about is about the kingdom of heaven. And so every parable, almost every parable begins the kingdom of heaven is like a a king who went on a journey, a mustard seed that's planted in the ground, uh, a pearl that is of great price. Um, Every parable is helping us understand what God's kingdom is like. How does it come? What does it mean to live in it? And so keep our ears open as we begin to fill out the details about what it means for us to live in the kingdom here and now. But what does repenting and turning to the kingdom of heaven look like? So when Jesus says to these fishermen, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men, we are given here, and these words that we read today a, a way of understanding what it means to repent, uh, to follow Jesus, because the kingdom of heaven is near. And so I have three points to share with you this morning that you might remember. It's about allegiance to his person, it's about abandonment to his will, and it's about acceptance of his mission. They kind of sound, sound a bit boring, not very exciting, but I, can I tell you how, I want to hope that you'll see, just how transforming and joyful these three points are for those who committed their way to him. So first of all, allegiance to his person. Jesus says to these disciples, come, follow me. Doesn't sound very revolutionary, but it's so revolutionary for those who lived in the ancient world you see for rabbis the rabbinical tradition uh, for those who were teachers uh, of god's law and who made that their profession disciples would seek them out they wouldn't go looking for disciples disciples would come to them Jesus breaks the mold. We haven't read about anyone else doing this, of going out and saying to disciples, you come and follow me, because it was always the reverse. But Jesus goes out and he meets people and he invites them to come and be a part of what he's doing. And so he comes to these uh, people and finds them and calls them to be his disciples. And what does he say? He says, come and Learn some good ethics from me. I'll teach you the Ten Commandments. You'll learn wisdom for life. So many uh, times down through my ministry, my previous congregations, I would hear parents say, I think it's good for, for children to go to Sunday school so they'll learn some good ethics for life. But that's not what we are about. We're not about giving fundamentally good ethics. Ethics is an overflow of something else. So it's not come and learn some good ethics for life. Jesus didn't say come and join my protest against the way the poor are treated and, and, and take on those who were uh, angry against Roman occupation and start um, a, a, a terrorist movement or anything like that. He doesn't come and say come and let's study God's law together so that you'll know how to be really righteous and so that you, when 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 you can be like Uh, The Pharisees as well, and look how good I am, Lord, I've kept all the commandments. He doesn't say anything like that. He says, even more stunningly and revolutionary, come and follow me. You come and follow me. I want your allegiance to be with the person that I am. Nobody said, look at me. They said, look at God, look at his law. But nobody had ever said, as a rabbi before, come and follow me. Now, it would seem that these fishermen already knew Jesus. He was not some stranger who walked up to them on the the, the Lake Galilee in that day and said, come and follow me. And and suddenly they they heard a voice or whatever. It seems that they already knew him. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are, are three similar gospels. John is quite different And sometimes uh, there's a bit of a difference in how we piece together Jesus' life because they are writing not history necessarily the way that we would think of it, um, but they're kind of writing theological history. They're taking stories from Jesus' life and they're trying to to use those stories to to show what kind of a person he is. And sometimes they might just change the order slightly to, to make a point. But it seems that if you try and bring John's gospel into this, they have already known Jesus for several months. There's already been an attraction to Jesus as they've heard him speak somewhere else, as they've seen him do other things. There's a, already an amazement in their hearts about who he is. There's a joy in them that, they, that he is someone special, that he is not like others, that God's spirit is upon him. And part of the clue is that in verse 12, we read, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he returned to Galilee. Now, we know that Jesus had probably been ministering several months, according to John's gospel and others, before John went into prison. So, verse 12, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he returned to Galilee, And then several months later, is the next verse. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake, in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. And then he goes out and calls his disciples. When John the Baptist was doing his ministry, Andrew, this fisherman who we're out to read about, was already a disciple of John the Baptist. And so when Jesus is baptised, he hears the Baptist saying about Jesus, "He's the one that you should follow." And Andrew starts to follow Jesus. And then Andrew brings his brother Peter to meet Jesus. And they, in John's gospel, are at the come and see stage. And when Jesus says, come and see where I'm living, come and see. But you'll see greater things than these. And then these followers, Andrew, Peter, John, perhaps James, were the one who were at the wedding in Cana, where they observed the miracle of Jesus changing water into wine and believed in Jesus. And they're more, most likely part of that discipleship That were around when Jesus was baptizing in the wilderness while John the Baptist was baptizing down in the river Jordan. But now John the Baptist has been put in prison and his ministry has come to an end because Jesus knows that he he has prepared the way and he's done his job. He's been put in prison and now that he's been put in prison, it seems that Jesus now comes forward and starts to take on center stage. And then his message becomes clearer, repent for the kingdom of God is near. And so when he comes to these disciples, uh, as they're out fishing, mending their nets, preparing for their next day's fishing on the shores of Lake Galilee, and he says to them, come and follow me because I'm going to make you fishers of men. He is calling them to a stronger allegiance to his ministry. Before that, they have followed him in between fishing. They've, gone to, they've hung around him. They've attached themselves to him, as other uh, rabbis, uh, disciples would have do if they're looking for a rabbi. But now Jesus has come and sought them out where they are at, and he calls them, and he says, Come, and I want you to follow me now, but your allegiance to me, because I'm going to make you fishers of men. It's all about Jesus and what he is doing. They're going to watch him. They're going to be around and discuss him before he, and for another year before he actually asks him to, them to do anything. They're just going to watch him because he's the king and he's the Messiah amongst us. It's all about allegiance to him. And secondly, part of this story shows that they must abandon themselves to his will if their allegiance is to his person. So he calls them, come and follow me. And at once they left their nets, one group and the other group, immediately they left their nets and followed him. And what they're leaving behind is fishing as their primary occupation, because now they will be fishing for human souls. Peter turns his home in Capernaum, now to the base of Jesus' ministry, and later he will say near the end of his life, Lord, we have left everything to follow you. But not every disciple left their occupation to follow Jesus. So we read about Jesus, Joseph of Arimathea, who still retained his uh, position in society, his wealth. But when the time came, he offered uh, Jesus, as a, as a secret disciple at that stage, a tomb uh, to, for which to be laid whatever he could offer So they didn't all leave their professions, but they all abandoned their will to his will because of their allegiance to him. Sometimes we make decisions in our lives that transform the rest of our lives, and we can look back to to certain points in our journey which just sent our lives on a different trajectory. Um, And a lot of it, I suppose, is that job interview where you were given the job that got you into a particular line of work from which you spent the rest of your life on and as you go back it it could have been something else I remember when I was leaving school I didn't know what was next I I thought about the electricity board somebody had said that to me about something else I thought about teaching and any one of those directions could have brought my life in a different direction the the person you marry when you met them for the first time um, and any other experiences that you had of that have transformed the decisions that you have made from that point onward. So here are these fishermen. And Jesus says, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And little did they realize the implications of what that following would entail. Did Peter and Andrew have any inkling that they would end up being crucified just like Jesus did? several years after uh, Jesus had been crucified, did James here and the brother of John, these other fishermen, have, any, have the slightest idea that within a few years of this day, they would be dead? Because in Acts, they are almost killed very early on because of their faith to Jesus. They didn't. They didn't see the pain of what was ahead. They didn't see the glory of what was ahead. All they saw was Jesus And someone who had captivated their hearts. And because of that, because of that drawing, because of his magnetism, that was enough for them. And so they left their lets immediately and they followed Jesus and they never turned back. Jesus was now everything that their lives were about. And this is what the gospel, the good news of Jesus is about. Jesus is the king, God's king in the world. God is now ruling in this world, in his kingdom, through Jesus. And those that align themselves around him come under the the power and the influence and the atmosphere of God's rule now in the world. And that's what the good news is about. So often uh, people look at others and they, they wonder, why did this person give up a promising career to become a preacher or a minister? Why did that person abandon gifts as a singer and other to become a missionary? Uh, Why did this person become a teacher, a, a prison governor? Why do Christians in millions of other walks of life give up lifestyles and practices that look attractive and lucrative to others so that they can maintain honesty, integrity, faith, hope and love and the answer is always because of Jesus because of himself his personality his personality his lordship his his saviour his uniqueness that he is the way the truth uh, and the life that there is no other like him we follow him as his disciples because he alone has the words of eternal life but this is joy being part of his uh, kingdom, and I starting to think of one way to, small way to organ, uh, to think about this. And as was catching up with match of the day, and for some of you, it's been not a very good weekend, and for others, you have been quite a joyful weekend, depending on where your allegiance lies. But imagine a, a little player from Balmain United. And one of the big premier managers comes and says, I want you to be in my team. And they might say, but I'm, I'm not that good. doesn't matter. Come and follow me, and I will make you into an astounding player. Think of the joy and the excitement and the humility that somebody as great as some of these premier league managers would choose me from this little part of the world to be in their great, fantastic team. Can you, in a sense, imagine when Jesus, after they've seen all he's been doing, changing water into wine and other things, meets them and says, you've been following me, but I'm choosing you. You are going to be my disciples. I've picked you out. Come and follow me. And I'm going to make you fishers of men. What joy, what amazement, what excitement that they are included in that. Thirdly, repenting and and, and facing the kingdom is not just about allegiance to his person or abandonment to his will, but it's acceptance of his mission. Who does Jesus call first? Fishermen. Doesn't go to the scribes away down there in Jerusalem. They would have made great disciples. They knew God's word. Uh, Jesus could have just Made a lot clearer so much quicker. But he chooses people who aren't regularly reading the scriptures, whose profession is something else. He chooses fishermen to be his disciples. Why does Jesus choose such people, the least and the last, and see them as ideal candidates for his kingdom? And the answer can only be because we're out of our depth and we're humbled by it and therefore we need his help in order to be the kind of disciples that he asks us to be. The scribes in Judah would have made good students, but they might not have been very humble students. But it's more important to be humble because he's your king than to be anything else. Where did who did he call first fishermen and where did he begin his mission in Galilee? Fascinating that Matthew keeps coming back to Isaiah. Uh, this is the third time now he's going to quote from Isaiah. And this time he quotes Isaiah chapter 9. And we're good at hearing that at Advent. Uh, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light, which goes on then to say, um, and the one who will be born will be, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase in that government of his kingdom, there will be no end. We're used to hearing that, but Matthew chooses that scripture to illustrate the place where Jesus begins his ministry. So if you look at your Bibles, you'll get some maps. uh, And let me just try and show this. When the twelve tribes settled in, Egypt. After they come out of Egypt and they settled in the Promised Land, these were the allotments of the twelve tribes. So Zebulun and Naphtali were the most northern tribes there. And so, when the Assyrians came in from the the north and they took Israel and and, uh, came into it, the route was actually through Naphtali and Zebulun. And so these were the tribes that in the 8th century were displaced first by the Assyrian invasion. And so Isaiah's prophecy is given to these two tribes who had suffered the most to saying that in the future there will be no more glum or distress because in the past he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Tali, but in the future he will honour This area, this Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Then Isaiah says that the people in this area who are walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness. The shadow of death, a light has dawned. So 700 years later, with successive world empires taking this country, the borders, the ancient borders have gone. Um, and now, as the Romans do it, this area, in this area, is now Galilee, by the Sea of Galilee. But it includes these ancient tribal districts of Zebulun and Nephtali. Nazareth is in the old tribal territory of Zebulun, and Capernaum is in the old tribal territory of Nephtali. So why quote this? Jesus is starting his ministry in Galilee because he is demonstrating that they will have the light of the king first because that's what Isaiah prophesied. That light has come to Zebulun and Naphtali because Jesus is ministering there first. That these people have been walking in darkness, without direction, with humbled because of what happened 700 years earlier and successively, are now the people to receive the light of, of God first because Jesus is beginning his ministry here. So suddenly this area that has been humbled has been lifted. This Galilee of the Gentiles now, because it's mixed, this ancient tribal districts of Zebulun and Naphtali have seen a great light before everybody else has seen it because Jesus is ministering here first. So Jesus is in the business as we've been saying of those who have been humbled, those who are on the fringes of society, those who are outcasts and he's bringing God's hope to them, not just in terms of being individuals, but in terms of being territories as well. His mission is is to bring the kingdom to all, no matter what their past is, no matter what their history is. And he does that by teaching, preaching, and healing. Um, teaching in the Bible is what you give to people who are, are already, um, have some knowledge of the scriptures. Uh, preaching is what uh, you give to people who have very little knowledge of the scriptures. So in the countryside, Jesus is preaching because people don't really know the Bible, they don't know the Old Testament, and so he's, he's declaring God's new to them. But in the synagogue, and in the Sermon on the Mount, when he's, teaching his, when he's talking to his disciples, he is teaching them because they already know, uh, have a grasp of the scripture. So Jesus is preaching to those who have no knowledge, he's teaching those who have some knowledge, or better knowledge, and he is also healing every disease not every disease that came, but every kind of disease is the implication. There is no kind of disease that the kingdom of God is not coming to transform. He, the strong man has been bound. God's rule is coming into the world, and his Jesus' healings demonstrate God's transforming power over everything. And the, and the response is a- amazing. That. Um, You'll see that even in this past uh, area, the Decapolis to the right was a very Gentile area. It was the the area of the Ten Cities, Decapolis, Ten Cities. People came from all those regions up to Galilee. Such was the fame uh, 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 of Jesus spreading because of what he was doing. Is this the same Jesus that we worship today? Have we watered down his message of the kingdom and him as a king? Have we come to the conclusion that he's kind of like a constitutional monarch? He's not truly uh, the, the king of all kings with all God's authority in him, but he is a kind of a limited power, a constitutional monarch like our queen might have. Or is he a king? Is he the king? Is he God's king? who tells us and gives us everything that we need in life. And if he's not that kind of king in our lives, what are we left with? Too many people think that they know what is best for their lives, and they virtually tell God what he can do for them if if he would let them. There's no allegiance to his person alone. There's no abandonment of our wills to his will. There's no acceptance of what his mission is is about, that when Jesus says, come and follow me, subconsciously we're saying, well, here are my terms if you're going to be my king. But even in the church, he calls us to be fishers of men, but we're often criticized to be keepers of an aquarium rather than fishers of men, of souls bringing them in. We are called to fish, not where fish bite, but wherever fish are. And Jesus' mission is particularly to go out to those who are vulnerable, who have been humbled, who have been broken in any way. In one of my thoughts, commentaries, I think, when I was thinking about this today, which led me on a particular track, which I think the Lord's pleased me to say today, It begins like this. Last year as a speaker at a youth conference, I met a young man who was deeply distraught. I preached on that night discerning God's call. Come, follow me. But one of the adult leaders brought this young man to me and said if I would talk to him. The young man said that for some time he had been hearing God's call to him to end his life. That it would be better off if he was dead. And as he broke down sobbing, I held on to that young man and prayed for him. After several minutes, I whispered to him that while I believe he was hearing a voice that was telling him to end his life, it was not God's voice. The young man asked if I was sure, and I told him I was certain. And he said, how can you be sure? And I told him that Psalm 131 described him as fearfully and wonderfully made. And that Jesus himself said in John 10 that he came that we might have life in all its fullness. God made you... In God's, his own image, I told this young man, God says you're wonderfully and fearfully made. God sent his son Jesus so that you might have life. I assured that young man that I believed he was hearing voices, but I told him again that they were not voices from God because it did not fit God's nature to call him to take his own life. And then I bought the telegraph during the week And Martin McNeely, Minister of Ballykeel, was reported on Tuesday when he had presided over the funeral of um, a member of his congregation who took his own life in December, hours after a heartbreaking post about his mental health struggles on social media. Within days, uh, Martin McNeely buried another young man in Mina also under age 30, who had died following a drug overdose. And this is what he was reported in the Telegraph. I'm really personally challenged when someone said to me at the graveside of one of the young men last month that they didn't feel there was any hope in Ballymena. In my own congregation, we have experienced hope and encouragement in that I have seen some people break addiction and God really turn lives around and heal relationships. Malachy O'Doherty, in his opinion, um, also shares what arose from a journalist friend, Alistair Morrison, who had lost a friend. When someone asked her and her family how many suicides they knew of, they came up with the figure of 30. And Malachy O'Doherty said, A few years ago, I was in Cookstown, and one man a few years ago and told me that 10 of his friends had killed themselves I considered not broadcasting it because it seemed hardly believable. And this is what Malachi O'Doherty wrote in The Telegraph. Committing yourself to death is the biggest commitment you can make. You can't change your mind about it afterwards. If you kill yourself at 20, you're throwing away a likely 60 years of your life, and you've no conception of what that might entail. And by not existing anymore, you have no sense of the devastation left behind, the hurt, the guilt inflicted on family and friends, the appalling confusion and horror. When Jesus starts his ministry, repent for the kingdom of God is near. He's saying, God is coming because God is in the business of committing himself to life. New life, hope in a world, hope through hard times, God's healing presence, God's kinship, and his love and his grace and his forgiveness. And so I challenge parents to commit yourself and to your family to the experience of the worship of God as something that is more important than anything else that you can bring your children up in. Because it's in worship and as they hear God's word that you allow God to speak to them and to encourage them and to remind them that they are valuable and they are fearfully and wonderfully made. The suicides The self-harming, the sexual promiscuity, the hidden chat rooms to escape, the pornography. All these voices telling young people and everyone that their worth is found here or over here. And Jesus has come to say, your worth has come because I am your king. And I have come to show that your worth is only in God himself. And I've come to call you to follow me so that you will know your true worth as God's child. So don't take that Jesus' death and worth for them away from us or our, or our children uh, because you've had a busy week or you need a walk or they need to do a homework or, or something else or, or they just need a rest because school was too much. This should be fundamental to the rhythm of our life and our family's life and our community life Sunday by Sunday. God's good reign has come. His glorious presence has broken into our world in Jesus. His powerful touch is available to be with us through the darkest moments of our lives. And he's interested in those darkest moments, just like Nephtali and Zabulin were humbled many years ago. And people turn to him and say, Lord, I follow you. There's no one else to turn to you. I give my allegiance to you. I abandon my will to your will because that's the best for my lives. I accept your mission as my mission because that is the greatest journey that we could be a part of. And wherever we are, wherever God has placed us in work, it's not about the salary at the end of the month. It's about what links to the love and the grace and the lordship of Jesus that is broken into this world through Jesus later from next week, we go on to the Sermon on the Mind. We begin to discover what are the ethics of living in this kingdom. But for now, hear these words about allegiance, about abandonment and acceptance. Not as something heavy on you, but as something liberating and joyful and healing for your life.